You are listening to the Paranormal Radio Network. Welcome back to And welcome back to Portal Paranormal Talk Radio. I'm your host, Tuesday Miles. And I'm Angela Thomas. Well, we took an extra long break. We so certainly I, did. We Everyone did. now is relaxed. Everybody's <laughs> now relaxed and everything, and it kind of took a little bit of uh, time away from our interview with um, Dan. Now, Dan, I have been practicing your last name, and if I mess this up, then I, I give up on this, and I'm going to introduce Dan, me, Winnie. Me, Winnie? Me? You got it correct. I, I did. Put it a little closer together. It's winning oh. like a horse with a me, oh, me in front is, of it. This is a miracle. So me winning. Well, you know, and I and I don't know why. And and I hope that I'm not alone in this. That everybody else has a difficult time in pronouncing your last name. I think it's just in the heritage of the name itself and how it looks when it's spelled out. Well, I I, I definitely was not going to get it wrong this time, and I promise. Now, um, thank you for joining us today. It's my pleasure to be here. And so, Dan, you know, just to let our listeners know that you are, um, I'm not going to call it a crusade, I'm going to call it the fact is, is that you're really going out there and warning people about the dangers of the paranormal. That is correct. And so how did you, why did you, you know, feel the fact is, is, is bring this together and, and start with this, this new, you know, it's not really new, but actually you're bringing more light to it. On it, so I'm going to call it a, 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 an actually a new program, a new message, a new warning. Okay, we refer to it as a new project. Okay. Um, it came about that just from childhood being sensitive, I always questioned what was around me. Later in life, that led into uh, documentation or uh, investigation of the spirit world and the paranormal. When I found I could get an EVP of the spirits I sensed, felt, or heard around me, it was a relief. Um, in the later years, I actually went under a negative, inhuman, uh, demonic attack. Um, a lot of things happened in that that put me in danger, put my girlfriend at the time in danger. Um, family members were affected, and a lot of bad things happened. Coming out of that was when I met my wife in SoCal PRS, the Southern California Paranormal Research Society, and it all was birthed out of knowing the dangers personally, and then watching this new wave of media and television portraying the ghost hunting is fun. You watch 42 minutes, and everyone feels like they can get off the couch or run out and stick their head into the spirit world. Um, no one was really talking about the repercussions or the fact that it was dangerous. On a weekly basis, we have clients that we deal with, people that move into haunted locations or are haunted themselves. And about a month and a half, two months ago, we realized that the majority of our clients were in ghost hunting groups. They were choosing to go out and investigate, not realizing something could follow them home or they could get injured, and they were being affected by this. And we realized we needed to do something of a public awareness to help stop this tidal wave of potential clients in the future. And so the, the dangers of the paranormal, and, and for those of you out there, that's www.dangersoftheparanormal.com on it, and that actually links to the Southern California Paranormal Research Society's um, website. Also, does it, Dan? Um, dangersoftheparanormal.com will get them to the main website. We always we also have a MySpace, myspace.com forward slash dangersoftheparanormal. 
Okay, so Dan, if, you know, can you describe some of the, the like you, you talk about attachment. Can you describe some of the characteristics of what an attachment is? Um, absolutely. Uh, a lot of people do go out and they have hitchhikers or attachment, a spirit that follows them home, just accompanying them, or a spirit that attaches them for energy purposes. Um, many people don't know the signs of this, especially if you're new to investigating. Um, some of these are just feeling tired, uh, depleted of energy. The typical term is, I woke up and I felt like I was filled with lead. Um, suddenly you're suffering mood swings or impulsive behavior that's not typically yours. Um, some people start hearing inner voices or sensing that someone's with them or feeling a cold surrounding them. Uh, many people are disconnected or have a feeling that they're not themselves. Um, some people suddenly have cravings that tend to be addictions, uh, meaning suddenly they used to be a wine drinker and now they're craving Jack Daniels and beer, or they pick up smoking for no reason at all and can't figure it out. Uh, often poor memory concentration or confusion, especially when trying to look up the subject or approach someone and ask them their opinion. Um, anxiety and depression usually kicks in. Many people isolate themselves from the group that they were with. Um, sudden physical problems can take place, pain with no obvious causes, uh, paranoia, strange fears, panic attacks, um, more isolation. Your sleep can be affected. You can be kept awake at night or have a lack of sleep. Some of our clients with attachments only get two hours sleep at night, and they feel fine, and they feel energized. Then the next week, they can't wake up. Um, this can spread into nightmares, uh, very vivid, lucid nightmares. Um, strange reactions around family and friends, uh, feelings of constantly being watched, um, a different of perceptions or sensations, whether it's audibly or vision-wise. Um, you start thinking you're seeing something, and you're unsure. Generally, you're just uneasy, especially in your own environment, around your home, in your bed. Um, it's different than a typical depression or being sick. Um, if we go out and we get the flu, we know what the flu is like. This is something where you start wondering and questioning because it's not normal. Many people question us and say, well, what's different than a string of bad luck, you know, losing a job or having trouble and you're sick, you know, right. versus a spirit attachment because they can portray themselves as a um, just normal bad week. I think the difference is many people that get the attachments in the paranormal field have gone to an investigation site, especially a high-level site. Um, their problems start after leaving the investigation site. It's not like I went on Tuesday, started getting the sniffles. On Wednesday, I thought I was getting sick. On Thursday, I was sick. It's, they wake up the next day feeling sick, feeling tired. It's an immediate physical reaction, which takes a couple days you know, have them sort out, and then the emotional and the mental aspects really kick in. And this is this is also too like your your whole body's feeling this way. You're, you know, and this is something that just is is not over a long period of time, but all of a sudden is after you do investigations. Many That's people get attachments after an investigation. Okay. Um, whether they go out on an investigation, let's say with a voice recorder and they try to make a spirit contact, you know, and can you communicate, can you talk to me, show me something, what can I do to help you, and that invites the spirit to come home with them, and it's attaching off of their energy because it thinks, you know, it has someone that acknowledges them, whether it's that or it's something more along the inhuman realm that is attaching to them for a personal malicious reason. Um, many can this happen to somebody who's not on investigations or like a psychic medium who is like maybe working, doing readings for other people? 
I missed the first part of the question. I'm sorry. Um, could this happen to like somebody else that's not going on investigations? They just happen to be in a location that's haunted and they're unaware of it. Definitely. Um, okay. There's many high-level locations that exist in public around here. We actually have a 99-cent store that I feel and my wife feel are is on Native American holy ground. There's a burial ground somewhere on this parking lot, and any time we go there, we can feel the spirits that are there, and they've affected us to the point that we don't go there. Um, many places, if you consider the land, have a past and a history. Um, you know, what used to be underneath your local mall, you know, 30, 40, 50 Absolutely, years ago. yeah. Yeah, one, we have a Walmart that's like that, too. One prime example up here is at Universal City Walk. It's actually on the site of a huge battle many, many years ago, and many people died, and there's a lot of chaos that happens in the city walk. There's a lot of haunted activity in the city walk as well, and you can imagine if you're going to one of these clubs in the city walk and you're going back to the parking lot that there may be a type of spirit energy that may attach to you and take advantage of that. Now, and is an attachment, this, is that the same as a possession? No. Um, the okay. attachment can definitely influence your feelings, your emotions, and your perceptions. Um, at the point of a possession, it is completely in control of you for a certain time period. Um, attachments, if you think about it on a spiritual level, they're using your energy, they're draining you, they're manipulating you, they're looking for another way in. Once you have an attachment or something that pops in a cord and is draining you, it can turn into a possession. Um, this really depends on the person and the uniqueness of the situation. Hmm, interesting. Now, you know, for the listeners who aren't really educated about this stuff, Dan, when you say attachment, and I'm thinking, is this ghost literally, excuse me, sitting inside of you? Is it on the outside? What, how does it attach to you? I believe that it's an energy, and certain energies can attract meaning it can attract and attach to your aura. Uh, there are certain entities out there that are like psychic vampires, and they'll feed off of your energy. Okay. Um, in one way, shape, or form, you can have an entity that is around you that feeds off of you or attaches to you to connect for the energy purposes, um, but it is not ingrained in you. Um, some people, as time goes by, develop it where it's actually attached, surrounding their energy and merging with their energy. The more this happens, the more dangerous it is. Um, we've seen people that we considered had a black aura because of an attachment. Uh, we've had people that have called that either played with the Ouija board or went to a cemetery on an investigation and they felt something cold around them. And they called us up because this cold spot surrounding them never left. Um, usually if people do have a major attachment that is ingrained with their energies, they do know. It's not a question. People around them can tell the difference. Um, these are the ones that are our high-priority cases and our clients and the ones that really need help and really need to get back into their faith and take a stand and get their lives back because at that point it's very difficult to get help and assistance unless you do know a minister, you do know a priest, you do know someone metaphysically that can, is willing to step in and try to help you. Can one attachment um, affect your whole family? Absolutely. Um, not just through you, your actions, and your perceptions, okay. but it can affect outside sources. Um, think of it that if it's an energy cord, 
it doesn't have to be right there on you, surrounding you. It can separate, it can walk away. Um, the attachments can follow you and be in your vicinity in that they can affect anyone around you. We've even had attachments that people have had uh, clients that call up where over the phone we can feel the presence of whatever's with them starting to affect us. Uh, many clients that do have attachments, when they call, they have phone problems, they have electrical problems, or suddenly they feel paranoid or that something's wrong. Um, the attachment uh, can affect a lot of people. Now, are these are these uh, earthbound spirits that are doing this, or are these what you would call demons that are doing this? Uh, I think it's, it's both. I think that a human spirit can attach, and I'll give some examples of this just from our own um, okay. case logs. We had a client many years ago. Um, it was a husband and wife. They were interested in ghost hunting, and they started going out to certain haunted locations. Um, overnight, she changed personality. Um, she began drinking beer, and this is a petite little mother of two. She began drinking beer, cursing like a sailor, using foul language she has never used, um, walking around the house, scratching herself. She picked up, I mean, this is serious, she picked up wow. a spirit that attached to her, and obviously it had some past in the Navy, and it liked to drink, smoke, and cuss. Um, everyone around her noticed this difference. Um, she couldn't quite figure it out. She knew something was wrong. She wasn't sure what it was. Everyone else was very clear that she had changed personalities. That is a direct attachment, and the spirit was using her. It was using her to feel what it felt when it was in the human world. A lot of spirits will do this. Okay. So, Dan, let me ask you, how can one tell if if uh, an individual like the lady that you just described is not going through some kind of psychological problem versus uh, an attachment? How, how can we tell the difference? That is a very tricky subject. It does require a questionnaire. Any person that calls us that thinks they have an attachment, um, we ask them a list of questions. Um, we also want to talk to someone around them. Those with legitimate um, high-level attachments where it's ingrained in their energy, the people around them know. Um, mental illness comes into play. We have had people who were mentally ill that watched you know, too many scary movies and thought something was afflicting them. We've also seen people who are drug addicts and mentally ill get used by spirits because they're an easy target, they're an easy prey, and most people don't believe them. Um, we directly refer people to medical help. We ask that they go get checked out by a doctor if they think they have an attachment to rule out there's something physical going on. Um, we have them get assessed, and if it is auditory, if they're hearing voices, if they're seeing things, or their personality has a distinct split, um, we want a psychologist or a psychiatrist to see them or assess them. Um, an easier way is to get them to a priest or a minister. Um, if that's in their faith. It's definitely something we have to consider uh, because spirits will take advantage of the human world if they can. And if we're wrong, the person's not going to get better. Um, if we're right, hopefully we can give them the steps to try to reclaim their life, and that does start internally as well as externally. It seems these days, um, on these days, that it's hard to find a minister or a priest or a father that would actually help you in this matter. I mean, I know that in the Catholic religion that they do, um, or they're educated on this subject, but the fact is beyond that, in I know in the Christian religion, that to find one that would support you on helping you do this. Do you have certain, um, you know, priests that you work with? or We have worked with the church 
uh, before we have gone into homes obtaining evidence for the purpose of a blessing, a banishing, or an exorcism by the church. Um, there are very few exorcists on the West Coast. That's okay. just the fact. They're all back east. All the demonologists and the good exorcists are back east. Um, I wonder why this is, because we do have problems with people under partial possession or full possession in getting them connected with someone in their faith. Realize that any time it turns into a possession, they have to deal with this from a faith perspective. They have to believe in it, and whoever's helping them has to be ready for a battle. Let's backtrack a little bit, Dan, um, on versus the attachments versus something that's, that's either earthbound or, or demon sense on it. What would you call the characteristics of something that you feel is in that category as far as being evil demon? Uh, demonic attachments? Yeah, is, that, is there a difference? The human attachments tend to be more of a character change, meaning it's a craving, and suddenly I wanted this, or we have a case in point where someone had an attachment that used to live in his house, and this human spirit who had passed on loved gardening. And this person suddenly found themselves at 3 in the morning standing on the front lawn in their boxers looking at the yard thinking, we can redo this. We can resize <laughs> this. And add some, you know, it's that type right. of change. It's not necessarily a negative, harmful change to them. When okay. it is a demonic attachment, an inhuman attachment, if it has an intent and a purpose, it has a plan. And oftentimes the demonic attachments don't manifest right away. Just things go wrong. Um, your computer will fry, you'll lose your job, you'll be on edge, you can't sleep, you are restless, and then you do start drinking or doing something a little more harmful, and then it turns into auditory, it turns into sensory. Um, evil has a plan, and when it is something that is inhuman, it's a totally different thing to treat. Okay, so there is a difference between the earthbound attachment versus the, the evil demon attachment. You would both... You would treat them completely differently? We would treat them completely differently. Um, okay. There's actual situations where, for example, if someone who is demon-possessed commits suicide, we have encountered human spirits with demonic attachments that cannot cross because of that. Um, there are rules and laws in the spirit world that the spirit world is supposed to abide by when it is inhuman or demonic. It goes up to another notch and another level. It will drastically affect people in other areas outside of where you are meaning it's not just getting a feeling or an impression over the phone when you're talking to a person like you would you okay. know, give a read. It's more like you're talking to the person and suddenly something's in your living room walking around um, affecting you, affecting your life in drastic fashion. Whenever it is negative and inhuman, we recommend the church, we recommend your faith, and other people are drastically affected in the same way that you're being affected. And also your animals. It could, could affect your animals too. Is that right, Dan? That is absolutely correct. We have come home from high-level investigations involving demonic cases and walked into our animals vomiting, puking, and defecating, as well as attacking each other. Um, mm. This, you would think, would be rare. Um, we have three animals that normally stay away from each other. Uh, we could also feel that there were things in the house. By mistake, um, I brought home objects with attachments, OWAs as we call them, and did not secure them properly. Um, and whatever was with it got out and got off and separated from that. And when you have something inhuman in your house, it affects your mind. It affects your perceptions in every way, shape, and form. It's different than just having 
a craving or a strange desire. Um, it wants to instill a fear. It wants to control. It wants to dominate. And it wants your soul. So, Dan, how can we protect ourselves, whether we're out on an investigation or whether we're just walking into, let's say, a historical site or a place that's known for its activity? There's definitely a lot of things that people can do. The first is awareness. Um, if you haven't been on an investigation before, do your research. Look up the signs of an attachment. A lot of people, first time out with an attachment, they'll get sick, meaning they feel like they breathe in something cold, and the next day they feel like they have pneumonia. It's a, it's a quick physical change. Um, it, the research is critical to knowing the signs. If you can see the signs in someone else, you can see them in yourself. If you feel that you are going out, protect yourself. Um, there's many visualizations that people can use. Um, surrounding yourself by a white light. But do this beforehand. Do this on a daily basis because you could pick up an attachment at your mall the same way you could pick it up from a cemetery. Mm -hmm. The visualization is there. Very much so. That you can pick up uh, any sort of attachment, whether you're in line at a grocery store, a mall, or going into a, a high active uh, place with spirits. Yes, the spirit world is everywhere. It doesn't stay away from your mall at Christmas time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. I mean, um, your dentist, your hospital, your churches, your schools. We train. Well, a lot we also have to point out, Dan, though, that those that are doing paranormal investigations, they do not always encounter negative entities that attach to them. But the probability is high, wouldn't you agree, if they did not prepare themselves properly? If they have not prepared themselves properly, the chances are very high, eventually, of them bringing home either a hitchhiker or having a direct attachment to a spirit. Over mm -hmm. time, it's going to happen, whether you welcome it, even if you protect yourself. Um, we've had people that have do protect themselves. They wake up in the morning and they do visualize. Um, they take all their vitamins, all their minerals. Um, we recommend people taking sage supplements, either liquid or um, crushed leaves in capsule format. The same way that you can sage your home, you can protect your and strengthen your body. We've had people that religiously do this, and then something happens, they get busy, or they're stressed out, or their mind's elsewhere, or they're sick, and they go on an investigation, and they're vulnerable. Um, also, people who investigate, who do smoke, or do drink a lot, or abuse their body, they often have holes in their aura, and it makes them more vulnerable and susceptible to an attachment. Mm, okay. Okay, that, that made us that um, maybe they kind of went into this a little bit too young. At what age do you think that would be, you know, safe for a kid, preteen, to go out on an investigation with somebody experienced? What do you think about that? Now, that is a quandary. Personally, we believe there's an age of maturity that children go through. Every child has a different age of maturity. Um, we have to look at the maturity of the child. We also have to look at it from the liability aspect. No ghost hunting groups that I know of that are, have a good, solid reputation, accept children under the age of 18. Some accept between 18 and 21. Most of them, you have to be 21 and older in order to join and investigate. That should be a precedent and a role model. If you have to be 18 to drive, if you have to be 21 to drink, why should a 15-year-old be able to run out and join a ghost hunting group and start dealing with death, the afterlife, and the spirit world at that age? Their hormones are running rampant. They're more likely to sneak out and try to have a, a beer at a friend's house. Um, they're not mentally prepared for the possibilities. Um, 
recent television has pushed child ghost hunting shows. We've been contacted by some production companies that were looking for children who ghost hunt, someone between the ages of 8 and 18, and we refuse to give them information. We feel there's a responsibility. Parents need to be involved if it is an underage minor. Um, if you're going to an event, let's say Beyond Reality event or Darkness Radio events, they have a clause. You have to be 16 with a parent uh, accompanying you. There's reasons for this and there's liabilities for this. I guarantee that the ghost hunting shows that want kids have the parents of these kids sign a waiver and a disclaimer, releasing them from liability and being sued in case there is a paranormal act of God that affects that child. If that's the case, we should have warning labels on TV that say mature audiences only warning this can be dangerous for your health. Oh, absolutely on that, you know, because these kids think this is excitement. They think it's like, you know, the glorified part of this. They don't see what happens on consequences when somebody is not protected or the fact is, is that they're not being responsible on an investigation on it. And so, I mean, these kids, you know, they watch all these shows on it and they're big fans of it. And I have never seen a disclaimer on any of these shows, Dan. We are pushing for the disclaimers because we do think there's going to be a new generation of kids under the age of 18 that are going out with voice recorders, trying to communicate with the spirit world, or that are saying, I want to be sensitive, I want to talk to the dead, and they're opening up Pandora's box. Um, it doesn't take much with spirit communication to get a response or reply. If anyone knows how to do it and can watch on TV and emulate their heroes, if only one out of 20 has an attachment or a problem, that's too many. Um, we've had experiences with children who, underage, have gone into haunted locations and had attachments. Um, some of these were demonic, and it changed their lives forever. They were hospitalized, and they were medicated, and they will never be the same. Now, what do you tell to their parents who didn't even know they snuck out to go ghost hunting? We need to be responsible. We need to train them about respect of the spirit world. We need to train them properly as far as the equipment to use and what's really involved in an investigation. It isn't 42 minutes that you see on TV. It's often multiple, you know, 8 to 10 hours sitting there with nothing happening. Um, there's many realities of investigation that TV won't portray. And if they did portray the reality, it would be boring television. I must admit that. What do you think about these Ouija boards? Because the Ouija boards, you can go into any uh, toy store, no matter what your age is, and buy one. If you ask any priest or demonologist about the Ouija board, um, they would say that everyone they talk to who has played with the Ouija board is the one coming to them eventually and asking for help. Um, the Ouija board opens up a line of communication. I believe when you're touching the planchet, you're giving a spirit permission to use your energy and move the planchet. As a result, you're giving it access to your body. Um, even when we're using voice recorders for EVP sessions, we try to specify, use this device to communicate to me, not talk to me. Uh, the spirit world's looking for an opening or an entry point. A Ouija board may be accurate. You may be able to contact someone that passed on, but how do you know that's who it is? If it opens up a doorway, the spirit world knows no time, and eventually something else may come through. And some of the worst cases we have had involve someone playing with the Ouija board. Now, I don't know how or why Parker Brothers or whoever owns the Ouija board company right. keeps putting this out there, but I know that evil is having a field day with this because you hear more well, horror you know, stories. Dan, you mentioned Parker Brothers and the Ouija board. Uh, in the 60s is when they uh, put it out there on the shelves. But, you know, somewhere in the latter 70s, uh, the Ouija board sort of disappeared for, for quite a few years, and then it was... Uh, 
you know, brought back out on the uh, toy aisle. So, uh, you know, I don't know what caused the Ouija board to be, uh, you know, out of the stores, but, you know, they're brought back in. So, uh, Dan, on, on, a, on another note, people that go into historical places or just go out for a walk, do you think that they are susceptible to any sort of attachment? Because one of our guests in the virtual auditorium said, you know, uh, throughout all of the land, somewhere in history, history, someone was buried or someone had a haunting, et cetera, et cetera. So do you think that any place is really susceptible for negative entity attachments? Um, I think that we live in a human world, and if we consider negative, um, demonic, or fallen angels, they've been on the earth a long time, and they have the potential to be anywhere. Obviously, they may be attracted to um, a scene of death, or crime, or murder, or of history. Um, it's really a, a crapshoot. We can't put mathematical odds to say one out of every five people that walks into the Whaley House in San Diego may have an attachment. On a personal level, we've known people that have walked into the Whaley House and contacted us after they got an attachment. Um, every historical place has spirit activity. I think every home has spirit activity. It's not just human or inhuman. You have your spirit guides and you, you know your angels. But every place you need to walk into with the preparation that it's possible something might try to take advantage of you or attach to you. And it could be a child spirit. My wife up at the Wolf Manor up in Clovis, California, we went in and she had a child spirit that manifested and it attached to her hip, her energy. It, it wanted to go home with us basically and it saw her as a mother figure. We had to go outside and ground off this child spirit because there was no way we were taking it home. You know, it's not necessarily a bad thing, um, but it does happen. Um, if you think about the spirit world, if you were stuck so close to so many people around you and you could see their essence or their aura and no one communicated and then someone came in and said, are you a little girl? You know, what can I do to help you? If you can imagine a child's reaction, mm. that they would want to come home with you. We're all attracted to people like ourselves. So it may just be there's an old spirit that sees an attractive young girl and goes, hey, you know, I might want to follow her home. It's opportunity. We've heard stories about the Queen Mary on, you know, spirits coming off the ship with somebody and then going back onto the ship, um, like a vacation of sorts. I don't know why it happens, but everywhere you go, even your local mall, you should have some knowledge of protection and have some either visualization or some aspect of your faith or faith objects that you utilize, whether it's a a crucifix, holy water, a medallion, or you just visualize yourself every morning surrounded by a bright light. Do this on a daily basis and prepare for it. Don't just do it five minutes before you decide to go into a client's house on an investigation. So in order for it to work, you really have to have intense faith and belief with that also? Absolutely. Every okay. demonologist we've talked to has stressed that you have to have the intent, faith, and belief in whatever it is. It doesn't matter if it is a crystal. It doesn't matter if you're Catholic, Christian. You have to have faith in what you're believing in in order to be protected. Oh, I agree on that. Absolutely agree on that, on it. Um, Angela, did you want to ask about um, Frank's box? Well, you know, one of uh, the guests, Dan, in the virtual auditorium had asked, what is your personal opinion on the Frank's box? Ah, uh, Frank's box. I think Frank's box was intended as a positive. Um, unfortunately, with the characteristics of the box, 
uh, first of all, when it's turned on, we believe that it opens up a portal. Um, unfortunately, the vibrations that it's attracting and allowing to come through are all lower-level entities, meaning negative. Um, in every aspect where there's been a Frank's box publicly used, uh, most of these situations, someone has had a negative experience. Um, they have shut down these boxes during demonstrations. In a way, it is like an electronic Ouija board. The only difference is negative entities have learned how to use the box and are typically the ones to come through the box. Um, this is personal opinion, just from what we've seen. Um, from my personal opinion, I know if you sit in a room with a Frank's box and you watch the people instead of the box, you'll see an obsession almost take place. Most of the sensitives or the mediums or the psychics will get to the back of the room or leave the room with a bad feeling. The other people who aren't sensitive or intuitive, for the most part, will start leaning forward. They'll feel that they have a connection with the box. Separately, they'll all start hearing messages that they believe may be for them. If you listen back to a recording, you won't necessarily hear the same message they're hearing. Um, it's almost like the box taps into you and feeds you on a psi level. Um, it's, it's, it's amazing to watch and scientifically to try to figure out and document it. Um, it's just an amazing concept on how this thing works. However, I think the majority of Frank's box sessions in public do have someone being negatively affected by it. Um, it's not that you intend to, but if you ask, you know, what's going to happen to you next week and you hear that you're going to die a horrible death or you have cancer or that your relatives, you know, your daughter has just died, it's going to affect you traumatically. Certainly, certainly. Do you think that the creator of the Frank's box will ever make it, uh, you know, like the, the Ouija board now, mass-produced? Well, uh, originally Frank, uh, inventor of the box, only put out a certain number. Um, that number has changed. Um, personally, I believe that the boxes are evil. Me and my wife refuse to be around them as rest as as of the rest of our team, um, for the most part. It, it, it's and there's no way to what comes through it. Is that? It, it's a personal thing because we have seen evil come through the box, and we have seen people be assaulted by the box, and we've actually witnessed a possession from a box. Um, there's only so many Frank's boxes out there, which is a good thing. On the other side, they have the Shack Hack. It's available at any Radio Shack. You go by the little radio, you switch some stuff around, and you have a walking Frank's box. I think over time, we'll see an episode of people using the Shack Hack, developing an obsession with it, and this same connection with it that it's talking to them, and as well as certain people having negative experiences from the Shack Hack. The Shack Hack does not work the same as Frank's box. The results are different. There's other spirit communication tools um, like the Ovulus and the Puck, which give out information back to you. If you look at it this way, it's all spirit communication. You're using a device, and your intent is, yes, I want to talk to the spirit world and the other side. If you're a medium or a psychic, you've been through education or uh, spiritual boot camp on doing this. Uh, most of us have some type of training and protection regimen that we go through because we know the realities of the spirit world. If you're an 18-year-old kid that got the plans off the Internet and you're sitting in your own home and you know nothing about spiritual protection, do you really want to take that risk in case you're one of those people that is negatively affected by some type of spirit box? Wow. Okay. So we've talked about all about the problems that, that the attachments can, can cause. Let's talk about some of the solutions for it on it. 
and we'll use, for instance, you know, what if somebody, the fact is like a 15-year-old child, whatever, doesn't tell their parents they're going out and doing this. They're noticing something weird. They don't know where to turn. Is there some place that they can look to find something that they can um, have a solution with this on, on Dan? You know, walk us through what a solution would be. Okay. The Internet is an amazing place if someone is underage and they get into trouble. Um, usually the people around them can tell. Their parents can tell, their friends can tell, and usually the parents or the friends are the ones that will contact us and say something's wrong with my child. They're not acting like themselves. As far as solutions, number one is your faith. Every person needs to embrace whatever faith that they're from and what faith they're comfortable with. Outside of that, there are natural things that you can do, um, meaning religious in specific things. So if you're, whether you're a Catholic or you're a Christian or you're a Buddhist, there's certain elements involved that you can use that will help in case of attachment. Um, one of these I mentioned earlier, it's white sage, sage drops or sage pills. You can get this at a health food store, and you can take it. Just like smudging your house will cleanse out negative spirits or negative entities, using it internally will help you develop a protection layer and repel entities. Um, anyone who has an attachment needs to be up on their vitamins and their minerals and their supplements. Um, an attachment will physically deplete certain things from your body. It'll also affect your sleep, so make sure you're eating healthy and you're taking every vitamin and mineral known to mankind to stay healthy. Um, sleep is important. Many people with attachments have trouble sleeping. They get a couple hours sleep a night or they're constantly woken up or they're sleeping too much. If you're having trouble in this area, Go see a doctor and either get a prescription sleeping pill or go get some Benadryl. Take something to regulate your sleep. Anybody who goes on a couple hours sleep a night is going to have trouble after a couple weeks. Um, if you're right, constantly but most importantly, if you think it, it, it has to pertain to something medically, that you still want to see your doctor first before you even get any kind of a sleeping pill. Absolutely. Um, Benadryl is an antihistamine. It's over-the-counter. Um, it is something that is relatively friendly. It helps people sleep. Melatonin is a natural substance that can help you sleep. The side effect with melatonin is it can give you nightmares or very vivid, lucid dreams. Uh, whatever you do, yes, see a doctor to rule out any other physical causes or mental causes. But do something to regulate your sleep because eight hours of sleep for a person who is being kept awake for a couple weeks or a month will restore their mental status. I mean, the whole purpose of some of these attachments is to beat you down to the point that you give in and you stop fighting. It tries to fight for your will. And in that, regulating the sleep and regulating your health is the most important thing. Right, on it. And so they have, so you're smudging, so is there, um, for those of you who don't know how, what smudging is or how to smudge, I do have um, in my library on my, my personal website, and that's TuesdayMiles.com website, in the library there, I do have um, a, a huge article in regarding different ways of smudging on it, so if you can find information there on it. But so using, using just these sages, is there something else that you would use along with that? Um, internally? If you're, just, if you're smoking, if you're the smoke, using the smoking if, stage. If you're, okay, realize that an attachment is related to your physical body okay. and your physical well-being. If it's an attachment ingesting stage, it's, it's doctor approved, um, will help you fight off this attachment. Okay. Um, externally, you can use, like, for example, Dr. Bronner's Magic Soap. It is a hemp soap, but it does cleanse and purify your aura. If not sea salt or consecrated sea salt, go and take a bath or a shower and use this as a scrub. It'll help cleanse your aura and help this negativity to separate from you. 
Okay, um, wait, I'm going to have you repeat that a little bit slower. Just the name of that again. Dr. Doc, Dr. Bronner's Magic Soap. Magic Soap. And you can buy that at? You can buy this at Rite Aid, CVS, Target, your grocery stores. It, it's a little 16-ounce bottle. It has a lot of writing on it um, that's very unique. It comes in three fragrances, lavender, peppermint, and another one. You can find it at any Rite Aid. Um, get this and use it. Use it on a regular basis. It's, it's wonderful. It cleanses you. It pur purifies you. And if you're dealing with an attachment, it will help separate you from this attachment. So you're making a good point there, though, Dan, because you're saying that with the attachment, you know, smoking your house, as far as staging goes, it's not going to be the same as treating yourself. Your, your, your own body instead of, like, the whole house. And that's why you suggest using the sage tablets. Where can you get the sage pills? I never heard of those. Um, sage pills, you can get them at some health stores, um, not all. Okay. Uh, there's liquid and there's pill form. The best would be to go online, and you can buy in bulk from, you know, Nature's Best or one of these places. Uh, personally, the stuff that I use, I can actually look it up and tell you guys. Um, okay, it's called Nature's Answers. Okay. It's in liquid form, and it's drops. And basically every morning and in the evening, I take a dropper full of this, and it's a preventative measure for us. In the past, we have had attachments, and I can attest that if you have an attachment and you fill your body with something like stage that has this cleansing effect, you're not going to want spirits in your body. They're not going to want to stay. So everyone, you know, just to think of it as a preventative measure as well, mm -hmm. if you are dealing with the attachment, you want to stock up. You want your body and your mind back to where it's going to help you get your strength. Okay, and so let's say that you, you, you use this for a de-attachment. Where do these spirits go, or where do these ghosts go? Do they leave and go someplace else? Or, I mean, Some are, of they, them. are they susceptible to attach to somebody else in your family? Um in some cases, paranormal investigators who have children, where they've had something follow them home from an investigation, at times when they try to get it away from them, it can and has affected their children. Um, that makes a very vulnerable situation for anyone that has a family. Um, sometimes, if it's a demonic attachment, it will usually try to stick around if it thinks it has a chance of staying around. Okay. Human spirits will usually separate and leave. Also, you can attempt to cross them, or you can call in um, some angelic help to remove the spirit back to where it needs to be. Um, other times, they leave. Um, there's other methods that you can do to separate yourself or give yourself back your space. This is whether you have an attachment or you just live in a haunted environment. Uh, many people use sea salt, consecrated sea salt, or normal sea salt. You sprinkle it in a line around your bed and some spirits cannot cross that line or that threshold. If you think you have an attachment or something in your room that's haunting you, you don't want to start at the door and lay a barrier of sea salt and trap it inside your room. You want to start at the like inner left corner of your room and work your way around, around to the doorway. It's kind of like getting rid of a rat out of your house. Okay. You want to push it out. You don't want to lock it in. We've had people that had attachments who did make a lot, like a big line around their house, and they trapped everything in with them, and then they called insisting <laughs> yeah. that it wasn't working. Yeah, we've often said that the Queen Mary, the reason why the ghosts remain there in the Queen Mary is because the fact is they're trapped and they're surrounded by salt water. Unless they're hooked onto a person, yes, they have the salt water. Wow, lots of great information, lots of great information. Is, is all this information on your site, you know, um, the solutions and the problems that they can... Somebody can both access and read up on Dan? We will post 
um, the solutions on the site. We've already posted it, I believe, in a blog on the dangers of the paranormal. We will make this um, more accessible. Uh, we'll give a list of recommendations that any person can use regardless of your faith. We'll also recommend faith systems. Uh, for example, personally here we have a spray bottle filled with holy water, uh, consecrated sea salt, and lavender. Okay. Uh, we use it when we have a visitor or something that pops in. We'll spray down the environment, and these things leave. Uh, we know this stuff works. Also, the lavender helps it smell nice and pretty. Um, it's not as harsh as if you're staging. It doesn't stick to you. Uh, we'll put these recommendations up there, and if anyone does have specific questions or um, needs some advice, we're always available via email or phone. So, Dan, you are going to be in Morgantown, West Virginia, February the 21st. Uh, anyone can come by and view Dangers of the Paranormal? Um, we have tentatively made an agreement to be at the Morgantown Conference. Um, one of the purposes of the Dangers of the Paranormal is that we've gone out and we've interviewed um, leading respected people in the industry. John Zaffis, Andrew Calder, uh, Chip Coffey, Chris Fleming, Dave Schrader, Amy Bruni, uh, Mark and Debbie Constantino. Uh, the purpose to continue spreading the word um, is to continue to be able to go to these conferences and have access to the cream of the crop or the well-respected. Um, part of that now involves West Virginia. When we go, we will interview the other speakers that are there. We also want to interview you, the ghost hunting teams that are out there. If you've had something that has happened to you, a personal experience, or um, just you would like to give your opinion, uh, we welcome that. We'll also be giving a live presentation on the dangers of the paranormal, showing not only the more famous, respected celebrities of the paranormal field that we've interviewed, but also unknowns. Um, people who have gone out and had something attached to them or had problems in dealing with the spirit world. You'll hear, you'll hear from them themselves um, via video on their own experiences, and you can make up your own mind as to how safe it is and how protected you need to be before you go jumping in. Well, Dan, one of the things that you, know, you have really stressed tonight is, is for individuals to take responsibility for self and for others. So not to just go in blindly and do any sort of paranormal investigation, um, but certainly pre uh, prepare yourself, whether you're doing an investigation or whether you're just visiting a particular site. So we certainly do appreciate that good advice. And there's so much more that could be placed into this conversation if we had more time. There are protocols and general, you know, sense rules that you wear the proper footwear or that you, you know, make sure you're hydrated enough or you're dressed for the weather or the environment. Um, it isn't all just spiritual dangers. There's a lot of normal factors that people may uh, encounter. And we have a full so list on the website. So what kind of footwear can one, I mean, I've never heard of that. Well, you don't wear your stilettos, that's for sure. <laughs> you don't wear thongs or, I mean, we've had situations where an investigator stepped on a rusty nail and it gave them a staph infection. Um, it's a natural danger. You should go to an investigation site beforehand and check it out. In the daytime, a lot of people don't do this. We've had people show up for public investigations wearing flip-flops and shorts. Um, a lot of it is common sense. And you said it right there, Dan, using your common sense. I mean, here's the thing about it. You know, paranormal investigations can be very informative. We need that documentation. We really do. It's going to help us in the long run. But the fact is, is that you need to be responsible, too. I mean, there's nothing worse than having an 
having somebody inexperienced going out there, getting themselves in trouble, and then leaving it up for other investigators to come up to, you know, to help you with that. You know, it's not that we don't mind it, but the fact is, if you just took the time to be responsible. And the sad thing is, a lot of investigation teams won't help you out if you do get in trouble. You are shunned, you are pushed. The other twist is a lot of teams out there aren't prepared or because of the caseload can't take on and train this population that's getting off of the couch in front of their TV and running out trying to do this. Yeah. Um, there are great books out there, there are great websites, there are great resources. If anything, be educated. If you're a parent and you watch with your kids, explain to your kids that it may be dangerous. We encounter parents that are more naive than their kids are as far as the dangers. And most people don't know that there are dangers. This is the whole purpose of this project. They don't realize that something can attach to them or affect them in a drastic fashion until it's too late. And we just want to stress that warning. Ghost hunting can be fun. Paranormal investigating is a blast. But just be educated, be prepared, and be knowledgeable that the dangers do exist. And think about what to do if something does happen before it happens. Absolutely. And that, and that makes it, you know, you're making a huge difference by even putting this out there and we really appreciate your time and spending it with us on our program today on it. And we're going to have to call it a close. Boy, it went fast, too fast on it. Um, you know, can you give out your websites one more time before it's done? Um, absolutely. The main site is dangersoftheparanormal.com or myspace.com forward slash dangersoftheparanormal. Our team site is located at socalprs.com. That's S-O-C-A-L-P-R-S.com. And on both sites, you can find extra information, um, tips, and just things related to this project. On the Dangers of the Paranormal site, we have uh, two hours worth of video interviews and transcripts that you can sort through and listen to. That's excellent. You can find that also on the portal site, any of those links that, if you missed them, that Dan just gave out on it. And so, well, everybody, that's our show. What a great show we had today, Angela. We had Joe Montaldo. We had Dan. Okay, let me go to the last name here again. Make sure. Okay, it's me, Winnie. Uh, very yes, I would say you got it. <laughs> well, I I am surprised at that that I got that right on it. And we thank you so much for <clears throat> educating all of us because that's what this was. It was a full hour of complete education and warning also too. You know, don't take this lightly, people. For those of you know, like Dan has experienced what he's talking about. I'd like to thank, and thank both you, of you, Dan, very much for sharing your your ideas and your information, and and hopefully, uh, Dan, you'll be involved in getting uh, that labeling out there for television programs uh, to give the warning before their children view the program. Yeah, real quick, Dan, what were you going to say? Um, I just wanted to thank both you ladies for letting us uh, be able to present the dangers of the paranormal and you know the possibilities that are out there. Uh, to your audience. Uh, we have a great support from within the community as well as from people outside the community that just stumbled across it and wondered. And we're educating a lot of people and we're bringing this awareness and we're really grateful to be in the position we are. And once again, I thank both you, Tuesday, and you, Angela, for letting me come on and give this presentation. It's very important to us. Well, you're welcome. And it'll go um, on for a long time. It's been our pleasure, Dan. Absolutely. You've been listening to Portal Paranormal Talk Radio with your host, Tuesday Miles. And I'm Angela Thomas. And we'll see you next week. Everybody be good to yourself and each other. Bye-bye.